tonight, uh, as the uh, opening slide says, we're going to be looking at the nature of God. And I'm looking at it in three ways. Uh, the power of God, the nature of God with, with men, and the nature of God with nations. When you think of the nature or the power of God, we use words, or you've heard words, omnipotent, which means what? All knowledge, all knowing, right? We use the word omniscient. When we really look at, at omnipotent, it's really all powerful, but when we look at omniscient, it's all what? all knowledge or all knowing. And then we look at the lesson that Leland did with omnipresent, and what does that mean? God's everywhere. So we understand the power of God. We understand that, that God is, is everywhere and, and basically can't hide. When you think of that and you think of the power of God, it says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens, by his knowledge the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew, and this is in Proverbs 3. We know, being the Bible students we are, that God is the creator, and when he created things, he created them in order, didn't he? It wasn't something that he threw a coyote out here or something like this. There was order and arrangement the way he, he did things. And with this power, as we think about it, we think about him being all-powerful. If you will, if you'll turn to Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. It says, and we've, we've heard this particular verse many times, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. And, and you can go on and on. If we take this to understand that God is powerful, that he's created things, what does that say about man? Or what does it say about us? I don't know how to ask this question, but I got the answer. <laughs> On the slide. We were created. We're after the image of God, aren't we? And, and when we think of that, in today's world, there is an arrogance about, I'm not talking about us, but some men that believe that they're smarter than God, don't they? And it doesn't work that way. Proverbs tells us there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against who? The Lord. You know, we, we think that we have wisdom compared to God, and really we make a fool of ourselves, don't we? Because it's like the old uh, people have said there was a riddle that uh, the scientist was, you know, working against God and saying, I can create things. 
And uh, he said, well, okay. And he said, let me get the dirt. He said, no, I created the dirt. You make your own dirt. You know, it, it it all came from God. And this arrogance of man, you can't even compare it to God's wisdom. Any comments? When you think of the power of God, this goes back to Leland's lesson where he said, basically, God knows what we're doing. And it says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. You know, when we um, think about this and we think about... uh, God knowing everything that we do and and the factor that he not only sees the good part but the evil part. When you look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. This is New King James Version. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I don't know if you've read that verse recently. It doesn't say, and there is no man, or there is no woman. What does it say? There's no creature. What does that include? Everything, doesn't it? That here is the factor that God put things in order, not only with the, with the animal, but, but us as people, And everything in order is open to him. And I think sometimes we don't understand or we don't look at ourselves and understand that man's life is an open book to God, isn't it? All he has to do is turn the page and he can find out anything, can he? Whether it's now or or back. So this power is not something that well, you come to church and we're, we're feeling good. It's something that's omnipresent, isn't it? It's something that's around us all the time. When you think about that, this comes back to the Lord has made all things for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. When you look at this particular Um, passage in uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 4, it says basically that there's good and there's bad and that he understands the purpose or that everything that God has made has been for a purpose, hasn't it? And when I've looked at this, it even tells us that even the unpleasant things God is aware of, isn't he? And if he's aware of that and he understands that the unpleasant things, that he's going to take care of it, then we need to be a little bit aware of that power, don't we? When you go to Ecclesiastes, you're well familiar with this passage that says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. If you'll turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll read just a few verses there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. 
And if the verse that I have up there was chapter, uh, verse 1, but if you go to verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work of the God, that God does from beginning to end. And then when you go to verse 12, it says, I know that there is nothing better of them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And then in verse 14, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it that men should fear what? Before who? Before him. And you remember that in one of our lessons, we said that knowledge and understanding and wisdom comes from fear of the Lord, doesn't it? So here's a factor that's saying his power, he understands the good and the bad, doesn't he? It's not that he reigns on the bad all the time. We get rain too, don't we? We have problems too, don't we? But it should be a comfort to us that says... He knows what needs to be done sometimes. And we read verses that say, Vengeance is what? Mine, says who? Lord. So that we need to understand that that power doesn't cease just because we walk out of the church building, does it? Yes, sir. You might want to wait for the mic When the, the people come to arrest Jesus, those soldiers fell when they realized who he was. And John, when he wrote Revelations, he said, I fell at his feet like a dead man. I don't think we can fully comprehend how powerful God is. I, th- I think you're right. I, I don't think any of us, because we're men or, you know, people, we can understand that power that he can, however he did it, he can say words and something's created. He can look at something and change it. You know, Jesus is walking along and knows somebody's touched his garment. He can see somebody and understand what's in their heart. Uh, we, We need to understand that from the nature of God and the power of God. Any other comments? And Nate's already looking at me. I knew he would. And he's probably going to say people that are 100 years old don't have hair. I keep telling my grandchildren I have hair. I have pictures. You're exactly right. And he knows about the sparrows, doesn't he? He knows about the plants. He knows about everything because everything has order, doesn't it? Any other comments? One thing is, is when you go from the power of God or you take his power, we could go on and on. You could, you could spend a whole quarter just on the power of God. But if we take the idea that we are made in the image of God, and as we sit in here and we use the name Christian, and for us to be a Christian, what does that mean for us? compared to the power of God. 
doesn't it mean that we owe something? <laughs> doesn't it mean that, that we are just people that he, by the grace of God, made us in his image and we want to wear the name Christian? So there is this obligation to do righteousness, isn't there? That's what he wants to see, doesn't he? Is righteousness. And you remember this with Saul and the Amalekites, right? What, what was said to him? Right. So that when we come to this obedience, it says to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. There is a part here that says there is action involved, isn't there? To do it's not that we just come and sit down. We, we have a responsibility, don't we? We have a responsibility because God's power tells us that he is backing us up as a Christian to be righteous. Does that sound agreeable? And when, when we are righteous, he tells us different things. He tells us our prayers of the upright or his delight he loves those who follow righteousness in Proverbs 15, 8, and 9. But I, I like this verse, the top one, because it said to do, to do. It's not just something that says, well, righteousness is out here. What is it saying? In order to, for us to be in the lap relationship, we've got to do something, don't we? I'm not saying through works. I'm saying through obedience and righteousness. Any comments on this so far? One other reference. Go ahead. I think to understand also with doing that righteousness and justice, it's not like if we do it, we're getting some great extra prize. You know, reminded that you know the servant... When he does what he's supposed to do, should he receive praise for it? And, you know, we're doing what we should be doing, and we shouldn't be expecting an extra pat on the back, so to speak. We're doing it. We're doing what we, we do what we should do because of what he's done for Because us. of his power and what he's done for yes, us. Yes, yes. Very gr- good point. That's an important point for us to understand that when we come in this building, we basically have an audience of one, don't we? And that's God, isn't it? We're here to worship him in spirit and truth, and we're here to worship him because that's what he made us for, didn't he? So there, what I'm saying, I'm trying to say in so many words, here we have the power of God that has made us. With this power comes responsibility to us, doesn't it? And that responsibility is to do righteousness. And it's not something that we're going to get brownie points. That's, that's our duty, isn't it? When you see some of the statues, it wasn't that people went, just did what they were supposed to. They went beyond their duty. But here, our duty is what he says for us to do, his commands, aren't they? If you'll turn to Psalm 106 and verse 3, Psalm 106 and verse 3. 
It says, blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness, how much? Not part-time, all times, isn't it? My, my version says, at all times. So it's not something we take off. It's something that we keep on, this righteousness. As Nate says, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We can't do anything to earn from what he did for us. When you go a little bit farther, it talks about the other side with this, the wicked, um, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the, to the Lord. You remember that we talked about Proverbs chapter 6 and talked about those things that are abomination you know, the lying tongue, sowing discord, feed that, that run to uh, evil, the heart that devises plans of evil. And, and you can go on, the proud look and, and other things. There is this side that says, just as that one slide says, that God understands the good and the bad, doesn't he? We talked about two paths. And here, this relationship with man also says that God takes care of these abominations, doesn't he? And it says in Proverbs 14, the house of the wicked will be what? It'll be undone. If you will turn to 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, I, I put in just verse 4 here, and it says in regard to these, uh, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. When you look at that particular verse, let me read it in context. With you, if you're in First Peter um, four, look at verse one, and we'll read through uh, verse five. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered, this is verse 1 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in licentiousness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, that passage that I have up there, they think it is strange that you do not run with them in that same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. And then in verse 5, what does he tell these people? Does he say, well, it's no big deal. Things are okay. What he says in verse five, he says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What it's saying is these abominations and these things that are against the nature of God, they're going to be judged, aren't they? And people that that have this kind of attitude that look at us because they, they go to meetings and things and we don't drink and carouse around, 
what do they end up doing? They make fun of people, don't they? And, it, and it's tough to be a Christian under cer- certain circumstances, much less them giving you a hard time about it. And what he says is if you hold true, what's going to happen? He's going to judge them, isn't he? He'll judge them just as he judges all of us for their deeds, won't he? Any thoughts or comments on this? Well, there's another part of this. In Proverbs 24 and verse 12, it says, If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider this? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So when I read this and you think about this, well, not knowing might not be the excuse, will it? You're still going to be judged, aren't you? And the problem that a lot of these people don't understand that do all the things that are abomination to the Lord is there's going to be a judgment day, isn't there? And when that judgment day happens, it's not going to be me that's, that's being judged next to them or you or their parents. Who's going to be there? Just them, right? When you look at some other verses which we're aware of these verses if you look at Psalm 62 and verse 12 this is also in Romans 2 and verse 6 Psalm Psalm 62, verse 12, it says, And also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, and you render to each one, what? Do you notice how the psalmist says that even though we look up here, that there is mercy in God's portfolio, but there's still going to be judgment, isn't there, according to our deeds? When you go to Ezekiel chapter 18, you're familiar with these passages because it starts out in Ezekiel 18 and verse 19. It says, yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statues and done them. He shall surely live. And it talks about if you do what's right, you're going to live. If you sin, you will die. And it goes on. But when you go to verse 32, the bottom line is, for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God, therefore turn and live. And we know that when we go, and I I put to the side of this writing on it, 2 Peter 3, 9, we know that the Lord, it says in there, that the Lord is long-suffering, doesn't it? And, and when you look at it, it's saying that he doesn't want anyone to what? Perish. And when he says this, 
not wanting to perish, he wants all to come to what? Repentance. So it's not that the Lord is saying, you're gone. What he's saying to us is, he wants everybody to live, doesn't he? He wants everybody to have this salvation. He wants to understand that the nature of God is to offer this salvation, isn't it? But whose responsibility, remember I told you, we're created in his image. We wear the name Christian. Now our responsibility is what? To do what's right. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Any comments? Nate's up here. I think in reference back to Psalm 62, verse 12, at the end where it says, you render to each one according to his work. I think, too, to understand that in aspects of obedience, you know, there's many out there that, that speak against, you know, salvation by works or whatever, but fail to realize that our obedience is our work. I mean, that that's what we're obligated to do, and that, you know, him, him rendering judgment on those who are obedient and those who are disobedient, going back to Matthew 25, the parable of the talents and things Absolutely. of that nature, to, to understand that, but then also to thinking about, okay, every thought, every word that we speak and all that we're going to give account for, does that mean that we're all just doomed? No, that's where the blood of Christ washes those away. First John 1, 9 talks about if we repent and we ask for forgiveness, you know, of those natures, we're not going to be held accountable for those according to what Scripture says. They're, if we're they're washed, washed and cleaned in, in Christ through, through the initial stages of baptism and then also through prayer and repentance. So knowing that, that God's going to render on those what is due, if you don't have Christ, if you're not washed through Christ, then the whole full blunt of, of God's wrath will be on us. If you don't have Christ, you're in a hopeless situation. Many people go, first thing is to baptism. They say, that's work. No, it's obedience, isn't it? And Nate's exactly right. God's going to judge us individually. He's going to look at us individually. And it's not going to be something that we can say, well, so-and-so said it was okay. Well, but what did my word say? It's a little different, isn't it? Any other comments? When you come a little farther with the relationship of God to men, there's a part here that God, when we read this, basically I put in my notes that he preserves the needy and the faithful says, do not remove the ancient landmark nor enter into the fields of the fatherless for the redeemer is mighty. He will plead their case against you. And what they're looking at here is there would be people that would come on people's land and they would try to move the markers. Why would they do that? They'd get more land, right? And it's saying here, Basically, that they will be taken care of. 
And when you look at the word redeemer, it says to redeem, act as a kinsman redeemer, avenge, revenge, ransom, do the part of a kinsman. You know, who do we call our redeemer? Christ. How did he redeem us? You said it through his blood, didn't it? But here, even in the nature of God, that God is looking out after people, and I almost consider from a secular look, isn't it, that what we own, he's going to make sure we're taken care of. What we understand that we need to do is part of our life as a Christian, isn't it? It says we need to work. Remember when we talked about laziness? If you don't work, what? You don't eat. So there's this issue that he is preserving the, the needy and the faithful. Well, when we go a little farther, what about when we look at the overall with nations and things? And, and I kind of took it from the aspect of leaders and I put up there that leaders set the example whether it's good or evil. And we all know that, whether you're thinking of politics or you're thinking of the kings and different things in the Bible. But it says, King, how do you take care of this evil? What do you do to change this evil? Proverbs says, take away the wicked from before the king and his throne will be what? Established in righteousness. Well, it makes sense. You take the bad guys away, and what do you got? You got left the, the good people, don't you? When, when we think of this and what the king will do, I put several passages up here that he judges with truth. If, if you'll go back to Proverbs and look at Proverbs 29 and verse 14. 29 and verse 14, it says, The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. So it's not only looking at the high ranking, but it's the poor here, or basically he's judging in truth. Well, when you go a little farther, if you go back to 14 and verse 35, Proverbs 14 and verse 35, which we would understand this from previous lessons. It says, the king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. And remember, we talked about the fool causes shame and different ones like that. And anger causes shame. And, and you can go on and on. The other interesting part is the way they say it in Proverbs 20, just skip over a few pages, in Proverbs 20 and 26, Proverbs 20 and 26, a wise man sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. What, when we look at this, we're saying that the king uses wisdom, uses understanding, uses prudence, right? And with this, he takes care of a lot of these issues, doesn't he? The last one that I put up is 
mercy, truth, and loving kindness. If you turn, if, you, if you're still open, if you'll go to chapter 20 and verse 28. Chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds his throne. So there's a part here that says we've got to understand from leadership that there has to be mercy. There has to be truth taken care of and the bad taken out. And when we look at that and we understand that who puts these people in that position? God does, doesn't he? Not you and I, really. Who is it? Doesn't it say in Daniel, God controls the affairs of man? And they are ordained by God as leaders. So we've got to understand they're not all going to do this, are they? And it's hard to go by what they say, but they're a leader who has been put in by who? God. And we need to understand that. Any comments? Well, I want to give you an example. If you'll go to Proverbs 31, very last chapter, we're not going to, ladies, we're not going to go about the virtuous wife again or woman on the end of it. We did, we gave you a whole lesson. But if you look at Proverbs 31 and... um, the very first verse, we see that there's, a, there's the wisdom. We talked about the riddles of, of Agur, and now we see Lemuel. Who gave him these, this wisdom or these wisdom points? Guess who? Of course, it goes back to that worthy woman, doesn't it? If you look at the second verse... It's more important than what we realize. It says, uh, what, my son, and then what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows? So when she says, what, my son, is she talking about a cousin? Is she talking about a friend that came over? No, she's talking about her own son, isn't she, first of all. So it's not somebody she's just given, you know, help to. She's talking just like we see throughout Proverbs of of Solomon talking to the sons or, or going to the sons. And then she says, what my womb? This child was born from the, of the fruit of her body, wasn't it? He's not adopted. He's a real son, isn't he? So the seriousness of it is, it's mama talking to to her boys, right? And there's no greater relationship than that. And then it says something about this uh, son of my vow which kind of reminds you of going back to 1 Samuel 1, talking about Samuel and Hannah. What did Hannah want? She said, just give me a son, I'm paraphrasing, and what will I do with it? Give it to the Lord, won't I? 
We don't know. We're not told on this. It could have been that. It could have been that part of her vow was teaching him things, knowing that he was going to be a king, teaching him from their wisdom, right? From her wisdom. We don't know. But the way she handled it, when you read this, if you go down to verse 3, it says, do not give, and again, this is New King James, do not give your strength to women nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Verse 4, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine nor for princes intoxicating drink. So what, is, what does she say to him? Probably Solomon should have heard this, shouldn't he? (laughs) On the women part. He's saying that women and alcohol don't mix, do they, for the king? Isn't it interesting? Here is a mother's wisdom talking to her son, the king, and she's saying, be careful. It's like we talked about when we talked about marriage. Be careful who you marry, isn't it? And be careful with the alcohol because when you go down farther, what it says basically, when you go farther, it says in verse 5, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. And just in a few verses, she said that if you don't control what you're doing, It's going to affect other people, isn't it? It's going to affect pure justice for people because you're not aware of what's going on. And you're going to forget what's really the law because it does that. You know, matters that need attention will be neglected because of alcohol, won't it? And that's a king's responsibility. And justice can be perverted. Any comments on that? Exactly. Keep your priorities straight and stay focused. Well, the last slide. We've um, had a class of 13 classes. Um, We've looked at 13 different topics which didn't even come close to covering all of Proverbs. We looked at the fool who we said it wasn't an intellectual part, but more of a moral anger. Brother David did for me, understanding that anger can cause problems and and soft words can change that. We talked about fear of the Lord as basically the theme and, and actually saying that fear of the Lord was wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We went a little farther and talked about listening, uh, understanding that with us and our listening that um, wisdom calls and, and we have to answer it. And I put the last slide was the Chinese character that talked about letting your ears be king and you're, and you're having ten eyes and a, and a one heart. Then um, we talked about the worthy women. We talked about her character, her way of life, the fact that her husband trusts her, 
And I asked what the secret was, and the answer was she feared the Lord. And we understood that the importance of that. We talked about two paths, wicked wisdom. We also looked at Matthew 6 on that to understand that there's two paths. We talked about correction and said that it's part of life and that actually when you think of correction, it's a way of looking at people to say, are they using wisdom if they've been corrected? We'll, we'll know by the way they act. That's what we put. We went to laziness and said that it was a sin. We talked a little bit about it tonight, but we also said that God chooses what? Workers, doesn't he? We said that he chose several people that were workers. Pride, we talked about the opposite was uh, humility and that pride can get in the way of everything and talked about our hearts being involved with that. And then when we come down to the very last part, we talked about the tongue, um, good and bad. We talked about Naboth and um, having the false witness against him, and he was killed for his vineyard by Ahab. Marriage, um, we talked about the importance of, of the, a good woman, also the men the same way from righteousness, and we talked about the nature of God. Does anybody want to add anything or say anything about any of it that we missed, overlooked? I've appreciated the kind comments plus all the good feedback in class and appreciate all of your diligence with uh, Proverbs. And we're done for the quarter. You're done putting up with me. Now you have to put up with Leland with Judges next, next Wednesday.